0: Hello, men, and of course, if there's any ladies that have been invited to listen along with husbands, uh, I'd like to welcome you to the eighth week in our champion series. Seems like quite a long time. Today, we're going to be looking at the seventh quality of championship performance and the seventh quality that is necessary in order for a person to be a champion. Remember how we define champions in week one, someone who fights for a worthy cause, someone who advocates for or defends someone who does not have a voice to speak for themselves or whose voice is not heard. Finally, someone who does battle or fights for the honor of another. And of course, when we talk about fight, we're not usually specifically talking about a physical fight. Uh, certainly, there are times when actual battle is necessary, but for the most part, we're talking about taking a position, taking a stand, doing difficult work, to overthrow existing situations, existing bad circumstances, and seek to put in place a more favorable one. Now, this is not obviously the average, ordinary, mundane sort of change where we incrementally affect things a little at a time. Certain things do require battle. Certain things are entrenched. They've been that way for a number of years. There's really Advantages to a certain few people, if they remain as they are. Uh, let's face it, evil, evil things, evil situations benefit some people, otherwise they wouldn't exist to begin with. And these things become entrenched and it does require a fight to remove them. And so in the process of this is evaluation, the looking at these qualities, the seven qualities that we've studied so far, We've suggested that all of them are interlaced or interconnected. That it takes some combination of each of them for a person to be a champion. And because each human being's life is different, the call in their life is different. And I understand if, if you're not necessarily a believer, you, you might not believe in call per se, or the invitation to a commissioned work that comes from a higher power, i.e. God. You might not believe that if you're not a believer, but if you are one, then you would hold hold true the fact that there is purpose in life, there is meaning, and there is distinct meaning that comes to each human life. That is that I have a different work to do than you have, and you have a different work than your neighbor has to do, and yet somehow all of those important works fit together and come under the authority and the orchestration of God's God's efforts. Today. We're going to look at quality number seven. Quality number seven is integrity. And and I actually use that word knowing full well that most of you already have a predetermined, sort of predisposed idea as to what integrity is. And generally speaking, asked what integrity means, most people will say, well, it means honesty, it means truthfulness, it means uh, a collection of good behaviors. And people with integrity hopefully do have good behavior, but that's actually not what the word means and it's not the way we're going to look at it today, at least not at first. To be a person of integrity as we're going to look at it, to be a champion and have integrity means that you are a person with wholeness. That is that all the parts of your being, both the internal and the external, both what you think and what you believe and the, the self-talk that you speak over yourself and also the way you perform in the outside, all of those are in alignment. They're whole. They're not fighting with each other or not fighting at one another. One of the best ways to understand this is to ask yourself this question. And we might even pause after this just so that you can take some time to actually think about that. Can I is the question, can I, you're going to ask it in the, first, in the first person, can I bring all of myself into every situation in which I go? In other words, can I bring all of me into my work situation? Can I bring all of me into my family situation? Can I bring all of me into any social situation? Or do I find it necessary to chop off certain parts of who I am, what I believe, what I stand for, what I think is right versus wrong, do I have to? Do I feel some compulsion to chop certain areas of myself off before I enter a certain situation? And, and if that's true, and obviously we all struggle with this, but to the degree that it is true, let's let's word it like that. To the degree that I would have to say yes, I do have to chop certain parts of myself out of the equation when I enter certain circumstances. To that degree, you are not at that moment whole. Now, the the flip side of that is if that is likening trying to fit a square peg into a round hole wherein all the edges have to be shaved off in order for it to fit into the round hole there is a different scenario that is equally troubling and that is when I step into a situation, do I find myself so inadequate that there is nothing in me? It's not that I can't bring all of me. It's just that all of me seems to get lost in the situation. Am I big enough to step into the situations that I'm asked to step into? And that, too, is a quality of wholeness. Wholeness is, concerns two things. It concerns who I am and it concerns my completeness. So to be whole is to be in alignment, but to be complete is to be in alignment and to be enough for the situation at hand. So I can be whole and yet be inadequate, in other words, completely inadequate, or I can be whole and complete, and both of those are essential qualities of integrity. So we're going to pause now, and I'd like you to think about that. And really, take as long as you need. Actually place yourself into, think about some situations you've been in recently. Think about a difficult situation at work. Have you felt free to be who you are? Have you felt free to speak truth as you understand it into particular situations? Or have you felt that that was just unacceptable and you would have to remain silent? So let's pause there and we'll come back in just a moment. Okay, well, hopefully you've had a moment or two to think about that, actually a good bit of time to think about that. Uh, One of the fellows in in our Saturday morning group actually suggested that he, from time to time, will write ideas down and then come back to them and look at them later on. We'll we'll come back to that thought in a moment, but I want to layer on an additional idea and have you take that into account as well. And that is that as you move from where you are and who you are toward the big, the compelling desire that you have, and the process of getting there, I want you to think about something. If in the process of getting the thing that you want, be fighting for the thing that you choose to fight for, if in that whole process you actually lose the best of who you are, then the person arrives at that destination that you wanted so deeply is not actually you, it's In fact, some caricature of yourself. It's possible to lose yourself in your commitment to gain the thing or become the person that you need to become in order to gain the thing. And if you lose yourself in doing that, then you actually aren't the one that arrives at the final destination. And I think we can all agree that we want to be able to look back on on the journey and say, I didn't lose myself, I didn't lose my soul, I didn't lose an important component of me in the process of arriving where I wanted to arrive. So now think about that in light of your big aspirations in life, and I don't mean individual what we call bucket list things but I mean quite literally, the big thing that you feel that you're here to do, the big purpose for your life, whatever that is. If in the process of achieving that, somehow you lose yourself, then the cost may have been too great. So add that to your thinking process. We're going to pause again, and we'll pick this up in just a few moments. And we're back again. Now I'd like to introduce to you the, a concept that we've talked about in the past in several different series but it's character. Now most people associate character with the individual qualities of the heart, the individual qualities of the mind which comprise a person and make them what we would call a good person. But what I've suggested to you before and I'll remind you of again is this. The character is actually the firewall that protects the good that we've put into ourselves. So Again, as I suggested before, when I, when I move into a certain setting, do I feel like I have to leave parts of me behind? Is a character issue. What, what we're really saying is that I feel I have to leave some of the good parts outside the door when I go into certain settings. But character says no, I will not leave those things out. If I am committed to them, if these are values that I hold dear, if I have If I've spoken these values over myself and into myself and they are part of what I truly am and what I truly believe, then character is the thing that keeps all of me held together as a unit when I move into that room. Now, let's look at the next thing, and that is, where do we come up with the idea that integrity means goodness or rightness, when instead what it actually means is wholeness? Because I think we'd still agree that we want integrity or our wholeness to be representative of something good. We want good values. We want good ideals. We want to have trustworthy and reliable beliefs. But where do we get them? Because wholeness does not guarantee goodness. Wholeness does not guarantee trustworthiness or nobility. Wholeness simply means that all of my values and all of my behaviors are in alignment. But that means that I can be wholly or completely evil as well. So I can be a whole person. I can be actually a man of integrity and be a man of evil integrity. And so one has to ask then, well, where would I find my North Star points? Where would I find those points, those those positions that I could hold dear and rely on. Now, I don't believe for a moment that you can't be a champion if you're not a follower of Christ. I believe that you can fight worthy battles. I believe you can seek noble good and noble outcomes. I believe you can be an advocate for people. You can do any or all of those things without being a follower of Christ. The question is, where will you find your core? What will you consider trustworthy? and stake your life on the fact that this thing is worth believing and this thing will serve you well throughout your life. And that's where I believe that the Christian, the one who follows Christ, has a distinct advantage. Uh, These beliefs have been tested. These have been tested for thousands of years. For the Christ follower who is a true believer, uh, these are not just tested values, these are God-given values. And we'd say then that God becomes the source of those values that we hold dear and we place our confidence in. God becomes the source which can fill us with the right things and help us to be whole. Which leads us to another troubling thing. Now, I, I, if I had more time, I'd ask you to just think about it and see if you could figure it out for yourself. But in fact... Since we don't have a lot of time, let's just jump right into it and let me introduce the idea to you. The truth is that none of us is whole. That we have some of the good and some of the bad. James speaks about this when he talks about the fresh water and the salt water not being able to come from the same spring. And yet out of the human mouth comes both good and bad. Jesus talked about that in terms of saying that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart. Now, isn't it interesting, I don't know about you, but my mouth speaks a variety of things. Some of them are what I would call helpful and useful, they're truthful, and they're honoring of God. And some of the other things that come out of my mouth from time to time, well, they're none of those. And that means that, from a practical standpoint, and applying what James and Jesus both said, It means that my heart is a mixed bag of beliefs and understandings and motives and pressures. And out of that mixed collection comes my speech. Incidentally, if you want to look at how whole you are, look at your speech and your actions. It's very tough to look inside yourself and with any degree of accuracy and without a large degree of bias. Because we're all personally biased. And it's very difficult to refrain from personal bias and be thoroughly objective in evaluating if we're people who are whole and integrated on the inside. But here's what we can do. Each one of us can look at our words, our speech throughout the day, throughout the week. And I don't just mean you let a bad word or two fly. That's not really what I'm talking about at all. Preferably our speech would be clean. but. But there's bigger things to concern ourselves with than that. It's, is my speech helpful? Does my speech serve a purpose? Does it serve to build people up, to encourage them, to challenge them? Certainly at times to rebuke them. But does it do it in a healthy way or does it do it in a destructive way? Does it do it for their benefit or simply to make me feel good? And, And next, I look at my behavior and i ask the same question of my behavior what does my behavior my external actions say of what i really believe how how do i use my time how do i use my finances where do i spend my free time how do i lead if i'm if i'm managing a business how do i work if i work within that business how am i involved with my family and and what is the nature of my involvement with my family all of those are better indicators of whether I'm whole or whether I'm fragmented. If one moment I'm encouraging to my family and the next moment I'm tearing somebody down, then there's fragmentation going on in the inner man. And this is exactly the kind of thing that Jesus was speaking of. When he said, out of of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, what he's actually saying is, out of the overflow of the heart come all external behaviors and performances. So again, with those two things in mind, what does my speech tell me about how whole I am or how fragmented I am? What are my actions, my behaviors, the consistency of my actions and behaviors, what do they tell me about whether I am whole on the inside or whether I'm fragmented? Let's pause. And this time, I'm actually going to ask you to take an inventory of the past week. Can you think of some extreme examples that will illustrate how you were either whole or fragmented. What was the good, the very good? What was the bad? What was the very bad? Just play through the highlights of the past week and see where you might be fragmented. We'll come back in just a few minutes. Okay, well, I hope you've had a little bit of time to think about how your actions, how your words in the past week, the past month, maybe the past six months, reveal something about what's going on inside of you and whether you're whole or whether you're fragmented we've got two things that I'd like to look at moving ahead the first of them is suppose you discover some fragmentation or suppose you're not even yet aware of the fragmentation but your source of wholeness your source of what goes into you comes out of the scriptures comes from God comes out of your commitment to be a follower of Christ well if that's true and God is actually working in your life, more on that in a minute, then would it not make sense that God would have a vested interest in helping you to be more whole and less fragmented, more complete and more more integrated, if you will, and less fragmented? And if that's true, then we'd have to ask the question, well, how does he go about that? What is the process by which God brings integrity or wholeness into your life and mine. A- and the first thing, obviously, is you'd have to have made some commitment to follow after God. You would have to have made some commitment to say, I choose to align my life around you. Now, we would at times call that, well, I've made a profession of faith in Christ as my Lord and Savior. that That's the religious terminology for it. The practical outworking of that is, I've just said, I've tried to run my life my way, and it isn't working or hasn't worked, and I've now come to the conclusion that even if I'm not thoroughly confident yet, I'm going to take a risk on Jesus, and I'm going to take a risk on the way of following Jesus, because it seems that it would probably be better than my following my own way. And if you've made that step of faith, which is a step of faith, you don't know for a fact, no human being knows personally if Christ will be more trustworthy and reliable to follow than they would if they led themselves. None of us knows that from first-hand experience until we do it for a while. Well, how does God go about making us whole and removing the fragmentation from it? And the simple answer is discipline. So, a couple words on discipline. Listen to these words, first from the book of Hebrews. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. All right, well, ask yourself this question if you were a parent and if you have some children. And, and I, my kids are both grown now. They're both uh, young to moving on toward middle-aged men. And each of them, I remember, when they were young, I would sit down from time to time and give, to give what we're referred to as lectures, I guess. I, I just talk to them, and I try to explain to them how their lives would be better off if they would live in a certain way. And if you're a parent, you already know how some of those talks went. There's much eye rolling, there's looking down at the floor, there's shuffling, there's everything else, and, and there's a lot of what goes in the one ear that goes out the other, as the saying goes. In other words, it doesn't stick anywhere in between. And after talking and talking and talking, discipline is necessary. And usually discipline requires that there is some cause and effect, consequence. If you do this, this other thing will happen. Discipline is the process by which we start to form the character and the quality of those we care about. Discipline. Discipline can be in the form of removing things. Discipline can be in the form of inflicting things. In other words, you will have to do this or this or this or this. Discipline can come in the form of privileges removed. There's a great many ways in which parents discipline their kids. And if the discipline is done in love, and let's come back to that verse, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves... So we see that God's discipline is done out of love. We hope that a parental discipline is done out of love. And everything at God's disposal, he can use and will choose to use if that's necessary in order to remove the fragmentation from my life or your life. Here's another verse, this one from Job. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Almighty, For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hand heals. He will deliver from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. Again, there's there's a common theme. We tend to resist discipline. We don't find it to be a blessing. Discipline, it's suggested again, is something that needs to be endured. The writer in Hebrews said that we shouldn't grow weary from it. Well, what does tiredness have to do with discipline? I think the answer can be found in this. When we're weary, what we want to do is quit. When we're weary, what we want to do is just turn around and give something up. And when we become weary of the discipline of God, we can tend to walk away from the very thing that we've said that we're committed to. Here's here's a similar thought from Proverbs probably some ideas that David passed on to Solomon, and Solomon in turn is now passing on to his children. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Now that sheds even a little bit more light on it. There's some intimate language, a father, the son in whom he delights. So the father has great expectations, great plans for the son. The father loves the son and wants the best for the son. And how does he demonstrate that love? By attempting to refine and shape and form his heart and to make it whole. To make it of one accord. Some final words, again, this time coming from God to Moses and then Moses out to the people. Keep them in your heart. That as a man, keep... Let me repeat that again. Keep them in your heart. That as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commands of the Lord your God walking in His ways by fearing Him. Here's here's the way we look at this. If I obey God, no discipline is going to come into my life. Because if I'm walking in obedience with God, God doesn't need to discipline me. But I think that's not an accurate understanding of things. And that's what sets us up for disappointment when difficulties come into our life. Here's a better way to look at it. Jesus, whom, if you're a Christ follower, and, and if you're working, growing in your knowledge and your understanding of the Scriptures you realize that for Christ to serve as a sacrifice for us, He has to be a perfect sacrifice. And so we say Jesus is without sin. Well, now by our standards, we would think, well, if Jesus is without sin, then God certainly doesn't need to discipline Him. And yet the word of the Scripture is this, that God actually had to discipline and refine and shape Jesus. Meaning what? Discipline is not only the process of Of removing bad stuff, discipline is also the process of putting in and testing the good stuff. 40 days Jesus spends in the wilderness. When does that come? It comes immediately after Jesus' call. It comes immediately after God's declaration, this is my chosen Son in whom I am well pleased. And then it's out into the wilderness for testing. And at the end of 40 days, during which Jesus worked through and thrashed out and sorted out all the elements of who he was, why he was here, and was he any different than every other human being? Was he really divine? Was he really the Son of God? Did he really have a distinctive call? And was he going to trust God in the way every other human being has to? And that is the human element of Jesus' story. That Jesus would have to trust God and rely on God in exactly the same way that you and I have to rely on God. And was he willing to do that? And was he willing to do it even when it didn't make sense? And at the end of 40 days, Jesus is ready to leave the desert. and, And immediately comes the temptation. And the temptation comes at Jesus to see if he is committed to walk out what he's learned in the desert. And so what I'd like us all to take away from that is this, the discipline is not only the process of making us whole, of making us integrated, by removing the, the evil things that might be within us, but discipline is also the way of building up, reinforcing the good things that either are in us but in limited measure, or need to go into us so that we can serve the mission that we're called to. And that's where we're going next. After I pause for a moment, let you meditate on what we've just talked about. The next thing we're going to look at is, does God really have a specific, unique mission for me that can be compromised if I'm not whole and integrated? Okay, we left off with a simple question, which is, does God actually have a unique and specific mission for me? And some people, I find, are very uncomfortable with that idea. Some people are still floundering about looking for what they would call God's purpose for their life. Here's the way one author describes this. Again, this is not necessarily a believer, but the way he describes this is quite compelling. He refers to those who are self-aware and committed to the premise of having purpose in life as having motivated abilities. It's a compound word, motivated abilities. Well, what are motivated abilities, I think, is, is the question to ask of that. And it's this, the first thing that I would have to accept is that God has actually designed me, even from the genetic standpoint, that I am uniquely and specifically created for a mission. But that by itself is only one layer of who I am. That I am a unique human being unlike any other. The next thing is I am a unique human being that has been genetically engineered to be who I am. But also I am a unique human being who has had a unique set of past experiences and exposures. Beginning with my parenting, the environment in which I was raised, the friends that I had when I was growing up, the educational experiences that I've had the difficulties that have come into my life, the losses and tragedies that have beset me, or you, or anyone. We're talking in in general terms about all of us. And then on into adult life, the relationships that I have formed with other people and how those have influenced me. All of these, we'd say, comprise the second layer of who I am. So I am unique genetically, and I am then developed into a more unique person, a unique person with specific intelligences and understandings and equippings based on all of my experiences and this, Miller suggests, is what makes my abilities motivated. My experiences speak into what I would like to do and how I feel called to serve but then I have to have a final component and that is I have to actually believe that I have an authority to act in this world. For the person who is not a Christ follower, who does not, who is not even, we'll say, a supernaturalist, does not believe in, in God as, as the authority and the ultimate being in life, for that person, his authority has to come basically from himself, or it has to be given to him by someone. But the question is, what if somebody, what if nobody ever gives you any authority? And what if you're born feeling that you don't have any authority But here's what I want us to understand. If you are a believer in Christ, your motivated abilities are the way that God has created you, fearfully and wonderfully made in your own unique way. It's the way God has guided your life, the experiences you've had, the parents you've had, and all that that we've covered. But then it is also the authority that God gives you to serve in a specific area. An authority that comes from a higher power. And this is why, when I asked you the question at the very beginning, do you feel that you can take all of you into the room, if you have to depend on your own authority, to be confident that you can take who you are and what you are into any situation, and it's all based on your authority, there's times when you're going to feel very weak. But suppose that authority comes from somewhere else. Let me read some words that are very familiar to us all, but in light of what we've just talked about, you'll see how maybe we need to revise our understanding of this verse a little bit. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, and the therefore means because I have this authority, I'm passing a slice of this authority to each of you. And the you in that case was his disciples, but, but in turn, that is the authority that now has been passed down to each of us who are willing to receive it. So, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples or followers of me in all nations. And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Now, we hold that promise to be true for us today. But it's only actually going to be practically true, usefully true, if we first receive the authority. So remember the three components now of motivated ability. I am genetically engineered, if you will, as a unique human being. And as a believer, I accept that God is responsible, even in the midst of all of the natural normal outworkings of human recreation or procreation I am still a product of God's grand engineering plan and then all the experiences and exposures that come into my life the scriptures speak to to that fact and say that God has a plan for how I will be exposed to certain things and who will influence my life but then the final question is Who gives me authority to go out and serve and act on who I am and what I'm discovering about what the world needs? And that answer is, Jesus has given me a slice of his authority to go make followers of him. Now, what does followers mean? Because we so often translate this into something that I would much prefer to call converts. We make this all about making converts, and it's not about making converts. It's about making followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus, exactly like you and I, follow Jesus according to Jesus' values, but we follow that according to our own unique genetic makeup and our own unique exposures and experiences. And so in the end, we follow Jesus uniquely and distinctively and have a unique and distinct relationship with him, even though my relationship with Christ is in many ways like your relationship with Christ. Let me pause for a moment. We're going to come back with one final thought. Okay, we're back. We're going to wrap this up now. And I'd like to read two verses. They come out of the same chapter in 2 Corinthians, and they're going to give us a little bit more feel or flavor for how we implement this authority. Therefore having this ministry and and this ministry Paul is writing this now. He's writing it to the Corinthians and he's writing about his own ministry. But I want you to think about this as if you were speaking these words yourself. Therefore, I, as I have this ministry, by the mercy of God, and now I'm going to go back, that's the way I want you to hear this, now I'm going to go back and I'm going to read the verse. Therefore, having this ministry, by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful or underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. In other words, the first thing Paul says is, I want you to know this. We believe we have a ministry from God. We believe that we have, each of us, each." and Paul is, is implying that there are several people within his team that are doing ministry. He says, but we're not going to resort to trickery. We're going to... Be whole and integrated people who are going to bring you the gospel in its gritty truth that life will be difficult, that God will ask you to look face-to-face into difficult things. He will ask you to confront some of the things from your past. He will ask you to confront the evil in the present. He will ask you to go into difficult situations and places and at times do very difficult things. That's the unadulterated, untampered with truth of God's word. That to be a follower of Christ is a difficult, but the most noble work there is on the face of the earth. And the way that you bring the kingdom of heaven into into being, in your slice of reality, is going to be somewhat different than the way I will do it in my slice of reality. But all of us together are working to bring about the kingdom of heaven on earth by the way that we implement the gospel message that has been given to us and that we have been given the authority to act on. But here's the follow-up to this, and it's found in the same passage of Scripture, just a couple of verses further on. It says, but we have this treasure, and the treasure is both the ministry and the mercy of God and the authority of God to act out on that, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now, here's where we wish it was different. And this is, you can see Paul not resorting to trickery or cunning, but just delivering the unvarnished, raw truth of the gospel. He says, I can't lie to you. I'd like to tell you that God made me into a super apostle, that God removed all the junk from my life, that God cleaned up my life, that God gave me a real showpiece of a life so that I can speak out of my own authority and credibility into the situations in other people's lives. But look at what he says. He says that's not the case at all. He says, I've been given this ministry, but I've been given it within what he refers to as a jar of clay. That's my life. My life. The good, the bad, the ugly. The parts that are pure and the parts that are less than pure. The parts that seem to be whole and the parts that are broken and fragmented. That is the holder, that's the vessel for this ministry. That is my jar of clay. And so to be an integrated person who is called to step out in some confidence on the authority that God has given him is to step out as a unique clay vessel not with everything all figured out, not with everything all together. It is simply to say, as one weak and dependent individual with a strong and passionate commitment to serve, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do this the best I can. I'm going to rely on God to the best that I can, but I'm going to keep the message pure. I'm going to keep it true. I'm going to keep it right and honest. And I'm just going to take all of that my integrated self into every situation that I enter. And to the best of my ability, I am going to be a champion, i.e. someone who, who does battle in the name of and for the honor of somebody else, in this case Christ. I am going to take my clay jar life and I'm going to do battle on behalf of God so that other people can see God's authority working through me. And that, if you're a Christ follower, is the essence of an integrated self as it pertains to being a champion. And so what that says is that while our goal is perfection, our goal is complete wholeness, that we shouldn't look for that now. We want that to be true and we want to keep working on it. But when Paul says he's still a jar of clay... That should remind us that we're probably never going to get to the point where we can completely speak out of our own authority. We will always be dependent on the authority of Christ to do the ministry that we're called to do. I think that's a good place to stop for today. So to wrap up, the question is, can I take all of me into every circumstance in my life? Do I believe that I have a specific thing that God has given me to do that I need to take into this world and do? Do I believe I have the authority to do it? Am I willing to let God discipline and refine and shape me to fit me for the specific ministry that he has, even if it hurts, even if it's difficult? And am I willing to trust God even in the most difficult times of discipline and refinement? Having confidence in the fact that on the other side of that, I am going to be better equipped to do the very thing that God has called me to do. That's where we're going to leave it, guys, and I look forward to getting together with you next week.